Thank you, Rick. That was neat. Encouraging. I sense we probably have more in common than it appears, Rick. I sense we probably have more in common than it might appear. Uh, and I appreciate uh, you men, you know, not just swallowing what I'm saying, but in challenging what I'm saying because I feel like I'm I'm kind of down there in the in the in the mud puddle with the rest of us trying to wipe the mud out of my eyes and see some of these issues clearly and and I think of all the things that I would hope to accomplish today is to raise the sensitivity to this issue that I don't think has been raised uh, uh, quite the same way in terms of uh, really getting a handle on God's view of this thing and determining how we should respond to it and uh, we tend to gravitate to the nuts and bolts direction of planning and, and financial planning and budgeting and, and maybe some of those things which are important for each one of us to, to, to work out individually, but, but maybe in that sometimes we miss some of the principles. So, and certainly these dangers are the, are the core of this. Well, we finished up with four, and uh, unless there's any thoughts, we'll, we'll move on into the fifth danger of riches. And the fifth one is that riches can be viewed as a vehicle to simplify life. And I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about this issue because, uh, and I've interacted with some people on it and had the chance of uh, doing this deal through a six-week Bible study, so I got, got a lot of chance to interact and uh, because... It, at my point in life, I'll, I'll be 45 uh, tomorrow, actually. And uh, like Walt, Walt has always told me that uh, all great men are born in February, so I'm <laughs> fall into that basket. I find myself gravitating toward the idea of simplifying my life and uh, kind of uh, uh, a desire to create a hassle-free uh, environment and a simple lifestyle. And I think that the danger is that the focus of our life turns to issues uh, that we feel will create that comfortable environment, uh, whether it's issues of, of paying off my debt or you know, how, how can I structure my company so that it runs by itself and I don't have to be there. And I don't know if anybody's accomplished that yet, but uh, we start to view retirement as a as a valid biblical goal in life. And the, and the danger to all this is that it may simply be an attempt on, on my part to eliminate the need to walk by faith. And so I, I'm not suggesting that there isn't some wisdom in looking at some issues of simplification or uh, lack of entanglement, let's say, or lack of encumbrance and and, and putting ourselves in a better position to serve God and walk with God and serve our families and so on. I'm not suggesting that those things aren't valid. What I'm suggesting is that the danger that riches holds up is that this can end up simply being an attempt to eliminate the need to walk by faith. And it's attractive because we basically don't like to walk by faith. We don't, we don't like the unknown. We would prefer to walk by sight. 
And so there's a natural draw that takes place there. And to do away with the need to be dependent on God in the area of finances can be a dangerous direction to go. And I think it's, it's, it's natural, and it's a natural tendency um, to, to not want to walk by faith. But the fact of the matter is, is that God says that's the condition in which you can please me. And when we think it through in all aspects of our life, it's our, it's our business, our family, or you know, our relationships with one another, it is when we're walking by faith that we are in the best position to please God because we're, having, we're trusting him. And uh, I see in this issue a fine line between the area of wanting to be unencumbered because I think that in our society today, we, many of us struggle with uh, just being loaded down and, and encumbered with all kinds of issues. And, 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 and debt has been brought up a couple of times. Debt can become you know, one of those issues that, that, that drags us down. And so there's a fine line between wanting to be unencumbered so that I ab- avoid getting entangled and, and, uh, and so on and wanting to simplify my life so that I eliminate the need to walk by faith. And we have to determine you know, where that line is. So it's not so much the, the, uh, the outward action as it is the inward focus. So the key ends up being having the right focus. And uh, Rick was talking about the fact that he, he still even loses focus going to three Bible studies a week. And, well, I'll tell you, I don't think there's anybody in here that doesn't struggle with losing their focus. We live in a, a supercharged temporal environment. And as, as men in the marketplace, we are called upon by God to demonstrate our commitment to the eternal, but to do it in the context of the temporal, and to do it in, in the context of a supercharged temporal environment. And so there's a lot pulling at that focus. But that ends up being the key. And if I simplify my life in order to better position myself where I believe God wants me to be, then that's certainly right. And that's biblical. Not because of the outward action of simplifying, but because of the reason why I did it, because of the focus. So I don't want us to, I don't want to miscommunicate the idea that taking certain steps in the direction of, of, of getting rid of some encumbrances or, or, or simplifying in certain areas is wrong. It depends on the reason why we're doing it. 1 Timothy 6.9 says that those who want to get rich, which I would define as seeking to create a financial environment in which I can be independent from God, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's got to be one of the heaviest verses in the Bible. I mean, that, is, and that just kind of hits you. And that's the reason I think that, that uh, God has told us that he doesn't want us to ask him for that. Now, I'm not suggesting that we be foolish with our finances and that we not be good stewards or that we not have uh, a direction to our life and a purpose to our life that includes a purpose and direction for our business. 
But manipulating future circumstances by accumulating today so that I can eliminate the threat of the future and eliminate the need to trust God in the future, I think we at least have to call that into question. If we're really called upon to live as aliens and sojourners, then does that fit in with a lifestyle of accumulating in order to protect my, my future and my potential of having to be dependent on God? And I think the real issue is our hope. Somebody read uh, 1 Timothy 6.17 where uh, it says, charge those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but to fix it on God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we fixing our hope on on riches? Because if we are, God says they're uncertain. Let me stop there and see if you have any any comments or thoughts before we move on. Yes. Yeah, and let me answer it this way. Um, I think that any time we're functioning outside of the the biblical absolutes, where God has has, uh, really graciously laid down the condition for us, we don't have to think it through. Um, Thou shalt not. We don't have to to think about that. We don't get to vote on it. We're just to obey it. But much of life, as we know, is made up of areas that that are outside of the biblical absolutes, where God says, I want you to determine where it is you're going to live, where you're going to draw the line, where you're going to function, what you feel is right before me. And so when I move into those arenas, I have to then look at how big of an issue is it. And if it's, if it's a big issue, then uh, I've, I've got to have some outside objective help from people who love me and care for me and are willing to look out for my best interest, who have a, a godly perspective themselves and who can look at the situation and give me counsel because otherwise uh, I'm going to be making a decision that's going to be all mucked up by my own uh, desires and, and, and uh, motives and, and things of that nature and so <clears throat> I don't feel we run to a band of people with every single decision. We all have to determine you know, when the decision is significant enough that we want that input. But I would suggest that that's the way that we protect ourselves from possibly making a wrong decision. And believe me, I, I have made a lot of wrong ones where I didn't do that. And, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of area there that, that we don't know. That's the right answer. 
how much is, you know, say you got five kids, you only got three bedroom house. They, well, they can share, or should I double up and move to try to find a bigger house? I think there's a lot of things there. I don't, I don't necessarily always have the right answer, or no. I mean, you just have to make the best decision upon paying. Yeah, I, I think most of life is made up, in, in you know, is in that category, and and that's where we got to walk by faith. And it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable at times because we don't know. Yes. Is there any uh, scriptural basis at all for accumulation of riches? No, I don't think so. I think that if we look further in the First Timothy passage. Um, it, it, where, it, where it charges those... Let's take a look at the passage. First Timothy 6. I think it's important enough to, to turn to. Right. No. Sure. And when we look at the, when we look at the whole, whole passage of First Timothy 6, beginning in... Uh, verse 9 we see a progression of, of, of attitude you see in verse 9 those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare verse 10 for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered from the faith verse 11 but flee these things so there's a lot of action there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of motive type words in there and, of course, it goes through the whole passage here. And then we get down to verse 17. And it says, instruct those who are rich in this present age, present world. It doesn't, doesn't condemn them. It doesn't say it's a wrong position to be in. It just says, instruct those who are rich, who God has chosen to put in that position, in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And I think that's the, that's the basic charge. Now, the next question is, what does that look like in each of our lives? And that's, we've got to determine between ourselves and God. I think that's a that's an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of of, of, of prudent business practice. It's uh, it's the same issue a person has to face that has a business. You know how much how much working capital do you maintain in the company? And uh, you know it's a, that's the same issue. And I think that we're we're called to uh, be good stewards uh, and wise uh, in our addressing of, of those issues. And I don't think that the idea the idea of accumulation as I'm using using it has more of the, the, the issue of kind of hoarding, uh, kind of the Luke 12 passage, if you're familiar with that. And I think that's what we have to, to watch ourselves on. Now, Jesus said in that passage, beware of all forms of, of greed. And, and he goes on and talks about the, the guy who uh, you know, tore down his barns and built bigger barns and, you know, just so he could merely have a bigger place to store his stuff. So, yes? Fundamental question, what is enough? 
use an example that you, if you have three, five kids and you got three bedrooms, and it's not a focus of your life to accumulate wealth. It's not a focus of your life to buy a big home to be on top of the mountain so that you can look at your home. But fundamentally, it says if, if you work and you're in faith with the Lord and He provides you with the gifts of riches and you can upgrade your lifestyle or get your larger home. I personally feel that that's in concert because you're not losing focus and saying I'm doing this to, to, to show my, sure. my wealth, to show off. What I'm doing it for is because it's my basic needs. And that's where it comes back to it. If you're focused on that money and accumulating the wealth, I think you're trying to covet it. Well, but if you're focused on faith in the Lord and He provides that to you, right, I think that's just a certain mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would agree with you. And I, I may call it, uh, I may put it in the category of enjoying what God's given me versus basic needs, but basically, I, 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 yeah, I think that, and, and that's the application of the things we're talking about. And the application of them, we're all going to have to work out on an individual basis. And I listened to somebody on the radio not too long ago that used Abraham as an example. And the, their issue or their, their little talk was about possessing versus owning. And we can, and we can discuss those, but there is a good differentiation between them. And he was saying that Abraham took Isaac and, and was told to sacrifice and so forth, but, but walked away. Um, no longer possessing Isaac, still was a wealthy, very, very, very wealthy man, owned Lot, possessed nothing. And it's still, it's still part, of course, of the focus. But there is a very clean line. Mm-hmm. So, in, in, in summary on this section, the danger of riches is that they are deceitful. And they involve this seduction of letting temporal things meet our deepest needs in a different way than God wants to meet them. I think that that would that would kind of be my summary of of uh, the the dangers that we've looked at that they that they are deceitful that they can trick us that we can self deceive ourselves. The benefits of riches. We've been waiting for. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. uh, we, the first Timothy six seventeen through nineteen, which we just read, is 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 kind of the kind of the foundational passage and uh, I have identified from from an eternal perspective three primary benefits to riches and this kind of takes us back to the beginning of our study where we dealt with the purpose of riches uh, because the purpose of riches can also be a benefit and the first benefit of riches that that I would submit to you is to celebrate life and our relationship with God by enjoying what he's provided, which is one of the first reasons. And, and the reason it's a benefit is, is that riches, financial wherewithal, just plain make life easier. It, it is easier to drive a car that doesn't break down every other day and falling apart. It's easier to, 
be able to take time off from your job and, and get away to a nice place and have a vacation and, and rest up. And it's, it's easier to, to have plenty of working capital in the account and you don't have to be sweating bullets over the cash flow constantly. And I think it is just a fact of life that material resources kind of grease the skids of life. They make life easier. Now, we're saying that after having just looked at the negative side. But if we're focusing now strictly on the benefits, I think we would have to agree that's, that's one of the benefits. That's part of enjoying what God has provided us. To celebrate life and our relationship with God by enjoying what he has provided. And then just a statement, riches make life easier. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I think, and, and that is an illustration of the danger of riches. That's a, that's a good illustration of, of, of why, why the danger of riches, because it, it does do that to us. So, and that's why we got uh, five pages on the, <laughs> on the dangers and uh, one page on the benefits. But as far as the benefits go, there's a benefit, and it does make life easier. The second benefit would be the opportunity side of the coin. We've looked at the increased responsibility that comes from riches, but with that, there also is increased opportunity. The opportunity side of the coin. For example, the joy that comes when God uses us to meet the needs of somebody else. That's, I think that's a real benefit, don't you? And uh, the, the joy of being able to uh, support uh, those who are involved in ministries where we're not directly involved as, as an additional, underline, 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 additional avenue of participating in the ministry. But it is a blessing to participate. Now, this doesn't mean that we can delegate our responsibility for personal ministry. It is an additional area. And to the degree that we can do that, there is, there, there is benefit that comes from that. It's, it's, uh, it might be a little bit of a crude illustration, but it's kind of like positive leverage. I mean, if, if we're investing in the eternal, uh, and we can, it's, like a, you know, it's almost like a stock option. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting some money into something, but what comes out of it is, is, uh, is 10 or 20 times that. You're, you're investing through others and it's increasing our opportunity. So the opportunity side of the coin. And then the third benefit is the use of finances is a major strategy that God uses to prepare us for heaven. 
The use of finances is a major strategy that God uses to prepare us for heaven. Now that's the good news. The bad news is that although he may use increased finances, he seems to get our attention more rapidly through financial pressure. Financial difficulty can be the result of God's providence or my disobedience, but in either case, God can use this area to prepare us for heaven, to strip us of our independence, our independent attitude, our self-sufficient spirit, and cause us to turn in humility in dependence on God. And that's a tremendous benefit because, you know, when we think about it, that's, that's exactly what we need. We need to see our dependence on God. And it, 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 it counteracts danger number one, which is a false sense of independence and security. Let's look for a minute at Romans chapter 5. And I, as I see this issue of, of, of financial pressure coming on an individual, and I haven't thought this through all the way, so we may want to talk about it, but it seems to me that financial pressure is going to be either the result of my poor judgment or disobedience or something in that category, or it's going to be the result of God's providence. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, I would put in the category of God's providence. Hebrews chapter 12, which we won't look at now, where it talks about God correcting us, I would put in the category of, of uh, our disobedience. But the point I want to make is that how we deal with and how we respond to the financial pressure that has come our way is going to be the same regardless of which it was, with two exceptions. If it was caused by my poor judgment, disobedience, or whatever, I need to identify what they are and hopefully learn from it, and I need to confess it to God. But apart from those two things, I can't think of, of, of anything else that distinguishes the two. So as I look at the financial pressure and I say, how am I going to deal with this? And I, and I search my heart and I try to determine whether or not it was a result of disobedience or poor judgment. If God doesn't put his finger on anything, then I, I've just got to deal with it. And I've got to move forward. And I've got to feel free to move forward on the basis that it's, it's, it's in my life as a result of the providence of God, which means it's for my good. And so as we look at Romans 5, uh, somebody read the first five verses, if you would, please. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, 
but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Isn't that a beautiful passage? It's a tough passage at first glance. You know, you're looking at the, at, at the positive things, and halfway through verse 3, God just switches gears on us, and all of a sudden we're rejoicing in tribulation. But we have to get a hold of that concept. We have to get a hold of the fact that God is operating on the basis of my best interest, that he is a good God, and that everything he brings into my life is for my good. Otherwise, we're going to be mad at God. We go through the, the, the fire and the pressure, uh, we're going to come out shaking our fist in God's face if we don't see it clearly. And I think that finances is certainly not the only area of pressure, but I think it's an area that God uses. And uh, I mentioned that we hit hard times in, in, the, in the 80s, and when I went through that difficult time of four or five years, I want to tell you that God got my attention, and uh, I'm still trying to pick up some of the pieces and put it back together from, from that period, and I'm still dealing with some of the issues, but I'm absolutely convinced that the issue for me is how do I respond to those things that he's brought into my life. That's the only issue. I've already dealt with you know, what role I might have played in and bringing them on me. So I've got to see that, uh, that that is a benefit, and that may be the biggest benefit, is that God uses uh, this area to prepare us for heaven. Did you have a comment? Yeah. Yes, I, have a, I do have a comment. I'm kind of troubled walking away from this about that, that we we don't have unity among the hundred men here in, in regards to uh, expectation, faith. I mean, these are areas I think we need to walk out of here with a, with clear uh, focus. I, I was looking in Ephesians 5, and it, you know, and it talks about unity in the body of Christ. And, and I don't, right now, I don't feel like we're in union. I mean, some people say it's okay to have expectations, and and I think we need a definition. What are we walking out here with? Is it okay to have expectations? Is it is it wrong to expect that God will deliver? And I, I mean, I you know, like Oscar and we were, we were talking, I'm not sure it is. Faith, I think without I think the faith is the is the issue, as somebody mentioned back here. Uh, I don't see any other way. Um, and I think that I think faith and expectations are this far apart. Unity, though, is not to be confused with uniformity. And I don't know that you know Rick having one standard that God has placed him in that I should be jealous that I don't have that or whatever. That's <coughs> what God has given him. And to whom much is given shall much be required. 
Okay, well, you know, we, um, Rick, was it Rick that gave his testimony? Yeah. Uh, me is the bad example. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Rick, but I tell you, you opened some eyes, and I, I really appreciate your testimony. But I, I, I question, are there, I don't think Jesus Christ, and, and somebody mentioned earlier, too, about the Beatitude, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Man, that's the greatest message Christ ever gave. It's, and I don't think it's meant to be, to have gray areas or really subject to intense interpretation. I think it's simply a real narrow path. And, and a lot of times we draw circles around our lives to accommodate our own. And I'm as guilty as anyone. You know, I'll, I'll fit that in if it feels good. And I don't really think that Christ intended the gospel to be complicated. Then why is it? <laughs> because I, I, think, I think we make it complicated. Yeah, I, I disagree. I'm sorry. I would think it's complicated on purpose so it keeps us studying. If it was so simple, we'd just read it once and we would understand there's a lot of gray areas and that's what I was trying to relate. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible and about our diversification and our, where we are in different status and uh, qualities of each one of us has a different... I think we're all in a different, we're in all in a different place in our process with God, which um, it, it, it's clear that the scripture adopts the idea that, we, that we're, we're operating with a different degree of light. We're all operating with a different degree of light. And uh, that's really the to whom much is given, of him much to be required uh, passage. And uh, so, when we, when we, you know, I don't know where we want to go with this issue. Winston, maybe you want to... Uh, <laughs> I think we, we, got, we have, we have a, a, about a 15, 10 or 15 minute deal on contentment which we can either forego and, and deal with this, or we can wrap that up and, and circle back to... Uh you know, the, the issue that he brings up, the unity in Christ, all right? That is, I think everyone who is here is in agreement that we, we are committed to Jesus Christ in our walk. And that's the unity in Christ. There's a lot of issues in the Bible that come up that, that is subject to interpretation, but the uniformity across the, the hundred men here is... Never our commonality in Christ. Yeah, commonality in our belief in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes, sir. It seems to me that this, these are issues that God has convicted you of, and that you're led to share those with us, and then it's our responsibility to take them successfully and apply those to our Thank you. Give one of the things that I struggle with. I spent some time in the third world, and I was wondering, do we have a right to enjoy the riches while we know that our brother is still in need? It's an issue that each person's got to deal with between themselves and God. See, I can't define that for you. I have to, you know, I, I am responsible to define it for myself, and. Uh, I don't know where else to put it. I don't think we can define it for one another, unless it's an absolute in Scripture. Yeah, then we need to really move important. on here. I think it's really important that we don't start defining it for someone else. I heard Tony Campolo speak about six years ago on how you couldn't be a Christian and drive a Mercedes. And I heard him speak about how about two years a BMW? Ago. Yeah, well, I heard two years ago he's down to BMW and <laughs> <laughs> he's making a beeline for my Dodge Lancer. You know, before long I can't drive. <laughs> and, and really. You, you can't say it's relative, it doesn't matter. It does matter. 
what you can't do is you can't tell somebody, you know, how much money they should keep out of what they make and, and you know, make some kind of socialistic thing for Christianity. But I do think that we are not on the, uh, what, and I think what John is saying, I don't think we're on the side of the church that's being too hard on ourselves. We're not giving away too much money. We're not sacrificing too much. We're not really thinking through what the third world is going through too much. So to, to back off that before we even do it is, is maybe premature. I mean, as, as soon as you talk about do it, people kind of put their hands up and say, wait, you can't tell me how to do it. We're not doing it too much yet. We're not, we're not over-sacrificing just yet. So. I guess I really think that some of this uh, problem has to do with semantics. Um, I think that it, uh, it goes back to uh, um, the First Commandment says, I have no gods before me. And that's, I think, another way of saying, seek first his kingship in your life. And uh, when I say to you guys, well, gosh, when I pray, I have expectations because I'm talking to the king and I'm his child. Um, then somebody says, well, yeah, but if he doesn't answer the way you want, then you're going to be in real trouble. Well, that's not true. Um, talking with my father, I can count on the fact that whatever he decides to do is going to be for his glory and for my good. And uh, uh, it doesn't mean that, hey, I may be a little bit cranky, but I'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I know, who knows what's right for him. So I think if we can, Jesus said there are two commandments that are real important. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that if we boil back to that, the semantics slide away a little bit. And we don't have, I don't see anything wrong with seeking. Like he said seek first his kingdom. But I don't think he said, you know, you don't have to, don't want you to be wanting for anything else. I think we are talking just different terminology. I mean, if you add to that, you know, it's a question of perspective, which we dealt with a little bit last night. But if we add to that, when Paul says, you know, I describe the riches that are to be revealed to us, or the glory that's to be revealed to us, of such magnitude that it leaves everything that we're doing on this earth, all our trials and tribulations, kind of, you know, it's, it's an unequal comparison. And we realize that we, we have this brief moment in time that we're here, but, you know, okay, you, you come to God expectantly. He says, no, my path for you, at least at this time, is not the material things that you want. You know, you... you the response to that is one of two things, right? Is you get bitter and angry at God in some form, or you say, okay, God, what is the real perspective on all of this? You know, if, if all that we're going to have, you know, we come into this world with nothing, we leave this world with nothing. We can't take with us what we may accumulate here. So how do we put this, you know, and do we keep that eternal perspective that says, okay, you know, whether I have much or whether I have little, I can be content with what I've got. And I think that's a lot of the key. I mean, it's something I've struggled with personally for a lot of reasons. But I think we, and we all struggle with, we all 
we have to keep that eternal perspective. You know, the third world, yeah, there's, there's people that are suffering, and there's certain things we can do, and there's certain things we can't do. But for each of us, you know, God says he'll give us what we need. And that can vary from time to time. I mean, that, that eternal perspective is <coughs> maybe the, the thing that ties it all together, at least it's helpful mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Thank you. I'm getting very discontent with the fact that you might not get to contentment. And so uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it's something we're dealing with at our home. What do you want to do, Winston? What we're going to deal with is contentment. And uh, let me suggest to you that contentment is really what people are looking for. People are not looking for success because success is relative. To one person, I'm a success. To another person, not a success. Success is relative, particularly as we look at the world's definition. What we're really looking for is contentment. And so the question is, how do I achieve contentment in this life? How do I be able to say with Paul, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in? And let me just make a couple observations. I would suggest, first of all, that contentment, and this is, crucial, this is a crucial part of, the, of this contentment issue. I would suggest, first of all, that contentment is something I declare based on my understanding of who God is and his commitment to me. Contentment is something I declare based on my understanding of who God is and his commitment to me. Contentment is to be grounded and rooted in the character of God, not in my circumstances. The second observation follows along with that is that anything less than a biblical concept of God, i.e. that he is in control, that he has my best interest at heart, that he is a good God, that everything he brings into my life is for my good. Anything less than that concept, concept of God will lead us to build our contentment on the foundation of circumstances. Anything less than a biblical concept of God will lead a person to build his contentment on the foundation of circumstances. We'll amplify this a little more. Next observation is that contentment is never to be a focus of our motivation. It is to be a declaration from which we are motivated. Contentment is never to be the focus of our motivation. We're not motivated in order to be content. It is to be a declaration from which we are motivated. See, I am content because of who God is and his irrevocable commitment to me, and because of that, I'm motivated. A declaration from which we are motivated. 
contentment, and to put it another way, contentment is the platform I stand on in order to see properly the cards that God is dealing me so that I can relate to him properly. If I'm not standing on the platform of contentment, I am not going to read the cards that God deals me. If I'm on the platform of discontentment, or if I'm on the platform of contentment being based on my circumstances, then when my circumstances aren't good, I'm not going to see things clearly, right? And so contentment becomes that, that platform. Now, unfortunately, most people base their level of contentment on circumstances. And I don't know if this, how accurate this is, but it, I just was thinking it through, and it seems to me that there are essentially three groups of people. The first would be those who are motivated because they are discontent with where they are. And this is, some of us at the table last night were talking about this. This is the approach that the marketplace uses to motivate people. And it's based on comparison. It has as its heart comparison. So you go into a sales office and every month they distribute a, you know, a sheet around the office that shows where everybody's earnings are. And you know, you know if you're first and you know if you're last and you know where you stack up. And, and, and so there is a desire to, to use that to motivate people to get out of, 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 of the 16th position and move up to the 14th position or to, to move from number one or number two to number one. The statement is those who are motivated because they are discontent with where they are. In other words, I'm basing my contentment on circumstances. I don't like my circumstances, so that motivates me to, to try to change them. Example is, here I am, I'm, I'm happy making $50,000 a year until I realize that I'm in the lower 20% of the office at 50000 a year. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer happy. I live in the same house. I drive the same car. My other circumstances are the same. But all of a sudden, I don't compare favorably. And I end up being discontent. I don't like how that feels. So I attempt to change it by altering the circumstances. And I say to myself, 75000 ought to do it. But of course, it doesn't. And that's the illustration of the first category of people. Second category would be that there are those who for various reasons, extreme hurt, disappointment, etc., retreat and move into a posture in which they feel content and unthreatened. It is the opposite of the first one. There are those who, for various reasons, hurt, disappointment, let down, expectations not being met, etc., they retreat and move into a posture in which they feel content, they feel content, and are unthreatened. They position themselves so that they will never be vulnerable again. They have no ambition and no motivation. If they can just do their thing, go home to a six-pack, the sofa, and the TV, they're satisfied. The guys over here say, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to identify that in the third one. <laughs> okay. 
Now, bo both of these two extremes are wrong, obviously wrong, and very dangerous. And our goal would be to fall into the third and final category of people. And that category would be those who understand the character of God and his irrevocable commitment to them. And because of that, they are able to properly marry the hurts and disappointments of life with God's sovereignty and be content with where God has them. What we're striving for, what we're striving for is to be men who understand the character of God and his love and commitment to us. In other words, we're, basing our, we're, we're beginning to build a structure whereby we base our contentment on, the, on who God is as opposed to on our circumstances. We understand the character of God and his irrevocable commitment to us and are able to properly marry the hurts and disappointments of life on one hand with God's sovereignty on the other hand. And by being able to bring those together because of our understanding of who God is and our belief that he ultimately has our best interest at heart and that even though these circumstances are painful and hurtful and, and super, super difficult, that because of my understanding of God, I'm able to bring it together with my belief in his sovereignty and accept where God has me, the result being that I end up being content. Not because my circumstances are good, but because of who God is. It ends up then being something I declare based on who God is. And I, I believe that we must deal with our concept of God before we will ever be able to deal with our hurts and disappointments. Okay. Um, Okay, we want to go back and re we're going to look at the second one again, right? Okay, the second category of, of, of people are those who for various reasons retreat and move into a posture in which they feel content and unthreatened. They position themselves so that they will never be vulnerable again. They have no ambition and no motivation. You serious? Okay. Uh, contentment is never to be a focus of our motivation. That one? There isn't a fourth one. There, there were only three observations. There's four on your sheet, but there's only three observations. I did my best to confuse you. Cross that one off. Give a big extra. You mean that last observation? Contentment is never to be a focus of our motivation. It is to be a declaration from which we are motivated. 
Contentment is the platform I stand on in order to read the cards of life properly. Okay, let's wrap it up. So as we, as we seek to fall into this third category, this, I think, is where Paul was in, in, in Philippians 4. It wasn't that his circumstances determined his contentment, it was the concept of God determined his contentment. Is having a proper foundation to the whole issue of contentment. Now the question is, can I live there all the time? Can we live there all the time? Now, I don't know about you, I do know about you. No, we can't. We can't live there all the time. But I don't think that's the question, at least not for me. The question for me is, not am I living in contentment all the time, but rather it is what should I do when I realize that I am not living in contentment? Where do I run? Where do I turn to try to correct it? In which direction do I turn to fix the problem, to regain my contentment? Because of the three categories of people, we have three options. The first option is we can try to change our circumstances. The second option is I can try to force myself into accepting my circumstances and retreat. And I think that's a dangerous one. Just saying to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself happy with this lesser thing than what I really want. I'm just going to make myself content with that. It's not going to last. And the third option, which is the one we want, is I can thank God for my circumstances, get my concept of God back into focus, and rest in the assurance that he is in control, has my best interest at heart, and that the circumstance in my life is for my good. And I believe that it is possible to live in that arena. But that's where we go when we find ourselves out of focus and discontent. But it's only going to happen in our lives to the degree that we understand the character of God and his commitment to us. And we're all on a different spot. I'll tell you, I got a lot to learn about the character of God, but I do believe that my ability to live content is directly related to how much I do understand and embrace about the character of God. And so it should challenge us in the area of gaining a better understanding of the character of God. We've got a long way to go, but... Uh, it's, it's the only way to go. It's the only path to pursue. That's it. Amen.